light the candles for worship. Do we have two volunteers who might do that? Oh, is, is it Owen and Anna both? Perfect. And I tell you what, if you two are here next week, remind me and you'll do it next week, okay? Great. As we settle into this place, let's take about three deep breaths so we could fully arrive here, so that we could be open to the presence of the Holy Spirit in, with, and among us. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Standing or sitting in the call to worship. This is the house of prayer for all people. We trust God with what we need. This is a house of prayer where we are committed to growth. We look beyond our own limited agendas. This is a house of prayer where we trust Christ has something to teach us. We open ourselves to receive wisdom and instruction. And hymn number 668, I think. You may be seated. Welcome. Welcome to Worship at Westminster. It is so good to be with you all today. 
If you're visiting, a special welcome to you. We have after worship coffee and tea and some snacks in our Finley Hall, which is just out these doors and to the left. It's a great time for conversation. Seek out someone you don't know, perhaps, and introduce yourselves. Similarly, during our offering time, if those of you here in the center aisle would take the pew registers and sign your name on that, pass it down the aisle, pass it back. It's a great way to know the names of people worshiping near you. If you're new to us and you want to include some contact information, we're happy to be in touch during the week to answer any questions you might have. So let's join together in our community prayer. Let us pray. Holy and present one, we are grateful that you invite us into relationship. We are grateful that you receive us as we are, even as you call us to grow. We turn to you in order to increase in understanding, compassion, and courage. We slow down to remember and to remind one another that there is more to prayer than asking for what we want. Let all our prayers be a form of that. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. You are God's beloved. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are set free. May we receive the new life that Christ offers. Amen. Amen. Before Bethany leads us in a time of sharing our joys and concerns, I want to offer just a brief word about what is unfolding in Israel and in Gaza. This week, I watched as colleague after colleague stepped into the perceived breach to say something on social media with good hearts and good intention, and more times than not caused, I think, more pain than clarity or healing. Let me be clear, I won't be eloquent here. I'm not up to that. One can, of course, hold complex things. One can be sympathetic to the plight of Palestinian people while not losing moral clarity in condemning, without exception, terrorism. And Hamas, which is no friend to Israel, nor to the Palestinian people, quite frankly. Today we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer, where we pray that what happens on heaven happens on earth, and what we're seeing now is hell on earth. And I lament the violence, and I lament violence that gives birth to violence, and I lament the many civilians that will be caught in the middle of all this and the bloodshed, and the bloodshed of children, and the violence that gets passed down to our children. 
I pray that God will have mercy on us. For the violence that we inflict and the violence that we teach. But you need not more words from me. So instead, I just ask that we might pause in quiet prayer for the pain, for the bloodshed, and forgive me, I know there are children here, I'm trying to be careful, and for the need for peace, for their sake, and maybe for the ability to be peacemakers in whatever ways that we can in humility and grace. Let's pray. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And now, Bethany, we'll invite you to share what else you might be carrying with you, which may be heavy and may be quite light, and we need all of that in this space of community. Amen. So I invite you to just raise your hand and share how we can be in prayer together this week. Yeah, Ruthie. And prayers for Ruthie's niece, who sounds like she's in a time of transition right now. Others? Yeah, Sherry. Amen. So she- yes, that's right. <laughs> Liam's like, Mom, you were doing so well till the end there. Uh, so uh, Sherry offers three prayers, one for Bryn Mawr Presbyterian in Pennsylvania, where both Sherry and Rob have pastored. Um, they're celebrating their 150th anniversary as a church community. Uh, second prayer is for Sherry's mom, who recently suffered a stroke, and for Sherry as she travels to Florida to be with her mom. And then prayers of uh, birthday prayers for Liam, who celebrated on Friday. Others? Oh, my goodness, that was a lot all at once. Yes, Judy. Prayers of joy for the women's retreat we had this past weekend. Susan?
Susan uh, is good friends with the parents of baby Apollo. We've been praying, born with a tumor, who is doing better, rolled over, but continued prayers are definitely appreciated. Judy. Judy's brother Michael is facing surgery this week for a brain tumor. So we hold them in our prayers. Yeah, Barb. To say her name again? Colleen Trudeau. Colleen Trudeau, who uh, passed away recently. Barb is lifting her up. She was a longtime member here at Westminster and brought a lot of gifts to our congregation. Others? Yeah. Claude. Wife Pam having knee replacement surgery this week. Others? Yeah, yeah. Kristen. Prayers for our Jewish neighbors, our Palestinian neighbors, and ways that we can help them. Amen. Scotty. Prayers of Ukraine. I preached about that a couple weeks ago, Scotty. <laughs> Imprecatory prayer. The early demise of Putin is what he said. Others? All right, certainly we hold a lot in our hearts and our minds. So let's have just a few moments of quiet um, as we pray the prayers that continue to be held in the silence of our own hearts, and then we'll share in the Lord's Prayer together. So let us pray. Gracious God, you hear the prayers of your people. And they're offered in the name of the one who taught us to pray together, saying, Our who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I wanted to give you a little context about the medley of Lord's Prayer settings that we're going to sing. These are three settings taken from the liturgy at the Church of St. Gregory of Nyssa in San Francisco. It's an Episcopal congregation, and it is rich in cultural diversity. It, from the building and the liturgy, everything is designed to incorporate many different per <clears throat> perspectives of faith and cultures and uh, visual splendor. Uh, part of their practice is to uh, have several parts of the service with sung responses, including the prayer time. So they have a sung setting of the Lord's Prayer, and it breaks after the 
uh, just before the, the kingdom, the power, and the glory section for a time of spoken prayer. And then there's a little tag at the end to tie it all together. So we're doing three of the settings that they use, uh, that they rotate through, uh, of the six or seven that are part of their tradition. The text of it is just slightly different from what you may be accustomed to, so it gives you an opportunity to listen to this in a new way. And I invite you to pay attention to the different ways in which each composer uh, develops the harmony to give emphasis to different parts of phrases.
Amen. This is the third Sunday of the month, which means it's our birthday blessing Sunday. So if you have a birthday in October, or maybe if you missed a blessing in a previous month, I invite you to come forward. Well, happy birthday to all of you. October is a special birthday month for me because it is my mom's birthday and my mother-in-law's birthday, both in October. So often in October, I have moms on the brain. So I thought I'd share with you uh, this piece by Cliff Williams. He basically rewrites the beginning of the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is um, something we say um, when we baptize people. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And Cliff Williams says, well, here's perhaps another way to say that. I believe in God, the mother, who gave birth to the cosmos and all that is in it, who nursed it and held it. And then he goes on to say, you cannot be God without being mother to those you have birthed, whom you have held in your arms. I just love all of the different ways that we experience God. Father, mother, creator, shepherd, whatever it might be. And my hope, my prayer, my blessing for you during this birthday month throughout the year is that you may experience our God in so many different ways at all times. May it be so. Happy birthday. You may be seated unless you want to stay up here for the time of discovery with Jeff. And I invite any of the children who are worshiping with us to come join us here at the front. I found out when I opened the drawer in my desk, there were two microphones in it. And I didn't know which one to use, so we're going to try this one for now. Have you noticed that? Some of the best things you have to wait for, like you have to, it takes a while to get them. Have you ever noticed that? Like, I don't know if any of you have been lucky enough to go to Disneyland or like Legoland, and you've got to do that really long drive <laughs> down I-5. It just takes forever. I want to show you a, a video of a cool place we went hiking over the summer. And so Theo and Sol, as they're watching, can hopefully see this, or I can show them later since they're in it. Let me see here. There we go. So this is a place that we went hiking over the summer. It's called Alamir Falls. And these waterfalls actually flow into the ocean right there. It is cool, isn't it? How many of you would like to go there? Wouldn't that be fun? Okay, well let me show you this part. It is, it's a pretty cool place, one of my favorite places. So this is the hike that we went on to get there. And do you know how long the hike was? It's probably a few inches. 
What is it? It's only a few inches on the screen. That's right. It was 10 miles. We went on a 10-mile hike just to see a waterfall go into the ocean. Well, I guess technically we hiked like about five miles to see the waterfall, and then we had to hike back. But yeah, sometimes you've got to wait for the really, really cool things to happen. And sometimes when you're waiting, there are all kinds of distractions and temptations to give up and quit. You know, like if you're on a hike or if you're driving to... I don't know how that would relate to driving to Disneyland, quite frankly. Maybe you just stop in Grapevine and just decide to go home after that. I don't know. But a lot of times we have to wait for really good things. And some of you are going to hear a story about some people that waited and waited for a really, really cool thing while they were out in the sand in the desert. And others of you will hear a story about some people who had to wait an even longer time and were tested and tempted to give up. And so, maybe we can learn some lessons on whether or not we can give up and if we, and that it will be worth it in the end. So, let's follow my friend Richard out the back as we walk out, okay? The first scripture reading is Psalm 106, verses 1 through 8. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for the Lord is good. For God's steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty doings of the Lord or declare all the Lord's praise? Happy are those who observe justice and who do righteousness at all times. Oh, remember me, O oh Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you deliver them, so that I may see the prosperity of your chosen ones, and that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, and that I may glory in your heritage." Both we and our ancestors have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We've done wickedly. Our ancestors, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wonderful works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled against the Most High at the Red Sea. Yet you say it, and yet... You saved them for your name's sake, so that you might have known, so that you might make known your Lord's mighty power. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. You'll note I always give the more difficult readings to the lector. Save the easy stuff for myself. We continue our series on the Lord's Prayer, this 10-week series where we're trying to put back into the center of our faith life the actual words that Jesus said rather than obsessing over words about Jesus. Today we talk about what's known as the Lord's Prayer, which is found in 
two places in the New Testament, in Luke 11 and here in Matthew 6, 7 to 16. Continue to listen for what the Spirit is saying to the gathered people this morning. This, of course, is Jesus talking. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head, and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This too is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Precisely because this prayer is so familiar, it's easy to lose touch with what's actually in it. We just say it and sometimes fall out, of, fall out of touch with it. It's almost as if we need a fresh version to kind of wake us up and remind us of what's in there. Today, we're going to spend time really wrestling with what's in there. More time directly in the text than I often do in sermons. We pride ourselves on trying to be relevant here, talking about the real world in which we live, but sometimes the best way to be relevant is to really get grounded in the sacred texts that we claim we want to shape our lives. So that's what we'll do for much of today. But before we do that, I want to begin by acknowledging a couple of things that are in the prayer that we've talked about here before that we won't address in great detail. Did you notice what was missing in that prayer from the way we say it versus the way Jesus taught us to pray it in Matthew? There's no, for, the, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Where is that? When we say that, we're neither quoting Jesus nor the Bible. We're quoting an ancient text called the Didache, written at the end of the first century, the beginning of the second century, which was an early church document that provided moral instruction and kind of worship guidance for the newly formed communities of Christ. So it's their commentary on what Jesus said. Interesting little tidbit. Maybe more meaningfully, did you catch that piece, and we've talked about it before, about forgiveness? When we say the Lord's Prayer, 
we're not uh, giving thanks for blanket forgiveness. We are actively asking God to forgive us only in the manner in which we forgive others. Anybody want to rethink that? <laughs> Frederick Beekner says, this is a bold prayer to utter the Lord's Prayer. And nothing may be bolder than asking God to treat us the way we treat other people. And this theme is reinforced time and again, actually, both in this sermon and elsewhere. All right, before we get into the prayer itself, I want you to do a little inventory. Think about how you pray. If you pray, and I know many Christians struggle to pray at all, but consider your own prayer life or our prayer life together and just make notes of the kinds of things you pray about or we pray about and the kinds of things that you don't. Keep that in mind as we explore through the prayer. There are so many ways to pray. We know this. One of my favorite books, I lend it out often, is called 50 Ways to Pray. And it details just that. And it appeals to all kinds of modalities. It's journaling, it's imagining, it's dwelling in scripture, it's taking walks. There's all kinds of different ways. Anne Lamont, who's a Christian writer and a Marin resident, wrote a wonderful book that captures sort of the three categories of prayer as she understands it. Remember the title? Help, Thanks, Wow. The three kinds of prayers we offer. Meister Eckhart, famous 13th, 13th or 12th century mystic, said famously, if you only pray this, it will be enough. Remember what the this is? Thank you. If all you ever pray is thank you, it would be enough. Now, these are just some Christian ways to pray. I mean, I've got books... Uh, also, I guess, Christian, that are, have blessings for every occasion. There is um, blessings for when you pass a graveyard. There's blessings for your first cup of coffee in the day. I mean, that is a holy moment for some of us. There's blessings to get in touch with our animal being. There's blessing for departures and thresholds in life. Blessing for every, blessings before you shop or to help you not shop. And again, these are just Christian forms of prayer. I had the good fortune a couple of weeks ago of speaking at the Sukkot service at Road of Shalom in San Rafael. And one of the things I was reminded of yet again, and Bethany and I talk about this anytime we worship with Jews, is just how rich their worship services are because they pray everything in song. It's incredible, right? Abraham Joshua Heschel, another great Jew, talked about when you walk and work for justice and peace, you're praying with your feet. I've had the chance to bow in prayer to the earth with Muslims, seen those of various traditions, indigenous or, or Muslim or others, dance their prayers. So many ways to pray. Jesus prayed all the time. We're often told he went off to pray, but we don't always hear what he did or said in prayer. And this is the one occasion where he directly gave us instructions. When you pray, say this. Our Father in heaven. Father. You'll notice in this church, you heard it in the uh, earlier time today, we try to complement masculine language with the feminine or with non-gendered language altogether. 
Because we know that everybody needs to see themselves in the story of God. And yet you don't want to lose the intimacy of the language implied with a, state, with a name such as Father for God. That intimacy is important. It, we take it for granted now that God is personal and we can be in relationship, but that was not always a given. So that's a bold statement to say, as Jesus basically said, he said it more casually than Father. He called, Jesus, he called God Dad. It's beautiful. Notice he, it's not my father. Our father. Shared parenting. Our father in heaven. Heaven, or actually the heavens, is just literally the skies. Father sky. Sounds almost indigenous. Father sky, hallowed be your name. God's name is sacred. You may know that in some traditions they don't dare to say the name of God aloud because it's too awesome. It's too powerful. It's too beyond our own words. Every name, including father, mother, and on, and savior, and everything else, all those names capture something we think of the great mystery that is the ultimate reality. But they also all fall short. They're all limited. They are all, by definition, metaphorical on one level. That mystery is too awesome to even name. It's holy. It's sacred. We should treat it as such. Your kingdom come. Now, kingdom is just how they would have understood the social order. That's how the world was organized, in kingdoms. They didn't have the baggage we have around autocracy. We hopefully have that baggage around autocracy, right? Hopefully we've evolved in this world. So when Jesus is praying for God's kingdom to come, drop that baggage. What he's praying for is a righteous social order, a just way of organizing societies where God's way reigns. And so that's why actually many teachers instead talk about the reign of God or the realm of God or the way of God. Or rather than kingdom, some have taken to using the term kindom, K-I-N. I was watching a video of an indigenous teacher this past couple of weeks that a, a pastor sent me. And this teacher uh, talks about the need of humanity to return to uh, relationships of kinship. Kinship with one another. Kinships with the creatures. Kinship with the earth herself. Your kin dumb come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your way, the way of the skies, the way of the cosmos, which gives birth to life, which creates the conditions for life, which creates the conditions for all kinds of diverse life, which thrives only when balance is achieved in right relationship, you might say kinship. Jonathan Edwards' fiery famous Christian preacher talked about it was God's nature to overflow. Right? That's what it, creation overflows. The creator overflows. May we learn to overflow and make the occasion for life and diversity and thriving. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us just what we need for sustenance 
um, excuse me, for sustenance and subsistence living. Lord knows we are using up the earth by reaching for more than our daily bread. Now, Jesus is not saying, don't think about tomorrow or don't be responsible planners. In fact, Jesus is saying quite the contrary, but the way you do that is not by hoarding all this stuff that you think you'll need later because by doing that, we may not get to a later. And you'll miss the present, by the way. It's a, moment, it's a line about presence. Consider today, fully be here today. Because otherwise, when you get to the future you're focused on, you'll only be thinking about the next future after that when you get there. Your bread for today. Be present in the present. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. It is debts, by the way. That's one for the Presbyterians. Trespasses does come later. You heard it. And the implication is intentionally economic. We spiritualize too much in Christianity. Jesus' material focus is rooted in the Jewish tradition of Jubilee. When periodically economic debts were completely forgiven and slaves were set free. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. The evil one. We're too sophisticated and intellectual to talk about the evil one in here, right? We talk a lot about Satan, the devil. That's for those other churches. And yet Jesus is simply personifying, making tangible, making real the experience that real people have of opposition, of temptation, and I would hazard to guess that more people here than would admit in polite company know exactly what it's like to wrestle with demons. So why not just name it? That's what Jesus does. For thine is the kingdom and the glory. Okay, we covered that. Jesus didn't say it. But we said it. Our ancestors said it. And it's an important thing to say. Thine is the kingdom, the glory, and the power forever. It's yours. Because we're reminded, well, right now we're really reminded what it looks like when humans think they have all the power and they get to inflict it on one another and we see how that goes. Christians are called to remember in every moment that it belongs to God. It's been entrusted to us. So how would you line up the way that you pray or that we pray to the way that Jesus told us to pray? Now, don't get defensive and don't feel judged. That's not the point of this. It's an invitation to put on our curiosity hats. How does my prayer life line up with how Jesus instructed us to pray? Where are the moments of convergence and where are the differences and what are those differences about? And maybe bring that question into your prayer practice or practice of conversation. Okay, but even after unpacking these familiar words, I still think it's helpful to hear maybe another version of the prayer to open us up again. That's always the goal, open and expand us. And so I've been waiting to introduce you to this version, and because we had Indigenous Peoples Day this past week, this is probably as good a time as any. I shared this with some of you who came to my sabbatical presentation. It was introduced to me this year. It's called the First Nations Version an indigenous translation of the New Testament. 
Now, I'm trying to be careful about cultural appropriation, about taking from another culture and imposing our way upon it. But this is a, a translation of the New Testament by um, Native American elders and scholars of, very, of different nations and different tribes in North America. And, and part of honoring their culture is to honor the decisions they have made and are capable of making. And these are Native Americans who have made Christianity their faith. And this is their translation of the New Testament, which is faithful to the original text, but puts it in cultural terms that make more sense to them. And I think one of the gifts of it is it helps us hear the text anew. So now hear Jesus' prayer in their words. O great spirit. Isn't that a wonderful name for God? Great spirit. I resonate with that one. O great spirit, our father from above, father sky. Mother's cosmos, we honor your name as sacred and holy. Bring your good road. Good road is how they translate kingdom of God. It's just the good road. It's the good path. Bring your good road to us where the beauty of your ways in the spirit world above is reflected in the earth below. There's the thy kingdom come part. That the good road of heaven, the good road of the spirit world shows up on this earth. Provide for us day by day the elk, the buffalo, and the salmon, the corn, the squash, and the wild rice. All the things we need for each day. Wow. That's the fullness that daily bread is meant to represent. Hear it again. The elk, the buffalo, and the salmon, the corn, the squash, and the wild rice. Release us from the things that we have done wrong in the same way we release others for the things done wrong to us. Forgiveness is just about release. It's about release. Guide us away from the things that tempt us to stray from your good road and set us free from the evil one and his worthless ways. Aho, may it be so. And may it be so. Amen.
Amen. You may be seated. And I invite Mary Beth Color forward to wrap up our season of stewardship. You know, I was hoping that uh, I wouldn't have to compete with a Niners game today, but no such luck. <laughs> Hi, good morning. Um, as Rob said, I'm Mary Beth Culler, one of the elders here at Westminster and the chair of the Stewardship Commission. This Sunday marks the fifth and final week of the 2024 Stewardship Campaign. And as much as I'd like to say that uh, we've saved the best for last, uh, there's no way I could get away with that. Because you heard from four very moving speakers the first three weeks of the campaign, and then last week um, you watched, if you were here or saw it um, in your email blast, the all commission video. So clearly we've hit you with our best shots already. So rather than try to top any of that today, I'm going to let you in on something that happened behind the scenes last spring. I think this will be a surprise to my committee members, two of whom are here. Great committee. Uh, the Stewardship Committee gathered in the library upstairs last April with the purpose of assessing the campaign that we ran the fall before and then planning for this one. And frankly, we were a little down. Our small but mighty group had worked hard to bring in pledges the fall before, but it had been a tough time to ask you all to give. People were still dealing with the effects of the pandemic. Many hadn't returned to services or church-related programs and activities, so it was more challenging to get our message across. And the overall economic picture wasn't hopeful. Obviously, we didn't meet the goal that we'd set, and the thought of doing it all over again was a bit daunting. Because I knew it was going to be a challenging meeting, a few weeks before I began thinking about what could I say to my team to motivate them to try again. I wanted to keep every one of them. They're such a great group to work with, and I had a feeling they might be um, experiencing some burnout, so I felt that responsibility. I read over notes from past stewardship meetings. I looked over articles and books about fundraising, and I spoke to a few people involved with past efforts to bring in money for Westminster. And what eventually became clear to me was that it was time to try a new approach, not only to bring in pledges, but just as importantly, to inspire my team, to motivate them, and honestly, myself, to take on another campaign. So I began that meeting last April by telling everyone uh, the one very important thing about fundraising that I'd learned. In a world where more and more nonprofits are competing for people's dollars, your dollars, it's crucial that you who are being asked to give believe that the nonprofit that you're thinking of supporting is a good investment, that it is an organization or institution deserving of your money because it will make a difference. And I said that we could show this to you um, by proving three things that were true about Westminster. Number one, 
Westminster is fulfilling its mission. It's making a difference every week by serving the needs of the congregation and those in the communities outside the church. It changes and improves lives through its various ministries, which is what we are called to do. Number two, the leadership of Westminster, your ministers, your staff, are doing a great job. They're highly regarded by you and by those in the interfaith community in Marin. They're always available to listen and support anyone who comes to them in need, and they've served this congregation in countless ways throughout the year. And the third reason why this church is worth supporting, Westminster is physically, fiscally responsible. It makes wise use of your funds. So after much discussion, the committee adopted this new approach, and then as we started talking, new ideas about how to encourage people to pledge began to surface, and I, I think we got a little excited. Uh, let me point out to you some of those new ideas, which I, I think you've noticed uh, a few of them. We came up with a theme for the campaign this year, a simple phrase around which we designed all forms of communication. Westminster changes lives. We handed out pledge packets in the narthex after services for the first four weeks of the drive so you would feel seen, you would feel valued, you would know that your individual pledge mattered, that, that we see you and, and we really appreciate you. We created a visual showing the percentage of Westminster households that had pledged each week. We wanted to stress that it wasn't the dollar amount. When you go out and you see that poster, there's no dollar figure there but there's a percentage of how many households so far have turned in pledges because we want you to know that together we all support Westminster. And finally, uh, an another idea I wanted to just mention is that to add to what our campaign speakers said about how Westminster changes lives, we created a video about how the work of the many Westminster commissions also changes lives. Now we're four weeks into this campaign. And whether the new approach and new ideas have been effective in getting you to pledge is yet to be determined. Because some of you um, received your pledge packet only this past week. So we know it's going to take time. But I wanted you to know all of this because it's time to speak more openly about what goes into raising funds to support your church. And it's also time to speak more openly about why giving to this church, your church, is so worthwhile. Think about it. If you value something, you're going to do everything you can to keep it in your life. Westminster is always here for you, each of you. Please be here for it and make a pledge. No matter the amount, your pledge counts. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Mary Beth, and we do have a couple of announcements. If you're a parent and you're feeling antsy that you need to pick up your child, feel free to, to step out and do that. We'll try to be succinct here. A quick word from Sharon about the upcoming eco-fair. It's itemized in your bulletin, so I won't, in the interest of time, I won't be perfunctory, just to say that there's going to be a lot more information this time than our last time, which was in 2017. And it's going to be fun, so come. 
Thank you, Sharon. Terrific. A few more to highlight. On October 22nd, we're having another one of those fantastic Westminster events, uh, Marin, uh, all about marine water supply, an issue near and dear to many of our hearts. So come from 3.30 to 5 or 5.30 on the 22nd. In particular, because we've talked about that event before, Mimi Hurd, who's faithfully organizing a cleanup crew for that event, it takes a lot of hands to make these things happen, is looking for a few helpers. So if you could be there or stay from 5.30 to 6.30, that would be terrific. If you know Mimi, you could let her know. I don't see her here today, so I can't point her out, but I can point me out, and I can connect you with Mimi. Now, on to today. The Legacy Fund, which is sort of like our endowment, is hosting a luncheon today at 1130. Um, this is not another um, fundraising ask. It's not the launch of a campaign. It's simply a time to celebrate what that fund has allowed this church to do, to celebrate those who've made known to the church that they've included the church in their estate plans, and to give you information so that you might consider making a similar choice. So come for the lunch. It'll be a nice, uh, relatively informal time together, 11.30 in the community building in Findlay Hall. At 2 o'clock in San Anselmo, at First Presbyterian San Anselmo, there will be an interfaith pilgrimage event. I use the term pilgrimage in quotes because it's very little actual walking, just moving from station to station around that campus with different kinds of prayer and reflective practices about how and who we want to be as the climate changes. I'll be there to help kick off that event and hope to see you. There is still room for you at that event as well as the legacy event. At 4.30 in Petaluma, your Ross Valley Breakers take on... I'm sorry, that's my own personal calendar, so I will stop now. Our closing hymn is number 470.
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and who is Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and every day. Amen.